0: You are listening to The Sermon Audio from Twelfth Street Baptist Church in Rainbow City, Alabama. More information about our church can be found online at www.twelfth.co. So tonight's going to be a little different because we are uh, in this room. We're working on our sound booth in our worship area. And uh, so we're really excited about getting that accomplished but um, I appreciate your willingness to be a little bit pliable with us. This is going to be recorded, but not live streamed, so that'll be put up later for folks. We do have some folks that like to watch every week, um, so this will be helpful for them at that point. Um, I'm kind of excited about this. I don't get to cover, as weird as say, my favorite parts. I really like to talk about the stuff that makes people, like, have to think about, like, what do I believe and what challenges me and my belief system, in other words, I think that uh, A.W. Tozer said it well when he said the most important thing about you is what you think about when you think about God. That actually, is the, um, that actually is the thing that is most important, you know, the reason that's true I think is because however, whatever we're thinking about when we worship is what we're truly worshiping. And the problem is that a lot of times we're worshiping a God that we've made up in our own minds other than the God of Scripture. Now, it's impacted and influenced by that. But in, in some level, all of us are having to continually have our minds reshaped and reframed to understand who God is. Because none of us have the perfect picture of who God is in our mind at all times. Um, but I think that's a good thing to remember. So when we talk about certain doctrines, uh, I find it very encouraging and kind of even fun to look at what have been the heresies over the centuries so that we can look at that and say, now where do we see that in today's culture, in the church today, in evangelicalism even, uh, or in cults that we see around or other religions? We see these are, anything we see today is nothing new. It's been going on for thousands of years, right? 2000 years. Um, So we're not gonna cover much of that tonight. We're gonna divide up this topic, the person of Christ into two weeks. Uh, I think that's really important to do. I think that that should be, um... hey Nikki. We're down here. Yeah, um, I, I think that's really important for us to do. And um, here's why. First of all, the person of Christ is probably the greatest, the greatest discussed in Scripture, doctrine of the New Testament about who Jesus is, and the arguments about whether or not He's fully God, fully man, or not. We're going to tell you that based on Scripture, I believe that Jesus is fully God and fully man, and that is the image that we want to show to you guys today in the scriptures so we're going to take time today to just unpack what does the bible say about god about jesus being fully god and about him being fully man in reverse order and then next week tyler is going to talk about what it looks like to understand this doctrine in light of the varying um heresies that have kind of come out in in, in, in theological errors that come out of that so for some reason he pulled the the I think the more fun card for us to talk about. And that way I like to talk about those things too, but I don't think that the humanity of Christ is not fun, so you hear me right. Mm-hmm. We're gonna love all this stuff, it's really good. I do have a lot of notes. Um, I may skip over some things. You've got them there. If you want them and you're watching this, you can just reach out to our office at info at co one, two, T-H-I-C-O, and we'll get that to you or call our office. Um, we want you to have the notes make it easy for you. I want you really letting this kind of sink in more than I want you to it's like drinking from a fire hose every week. I want it to really sink in more than just something that you um, are trying to keep up with. So know that you can go back. I'm just working straight off the notes. And that's that's how I'd like to, to encourage you to do that today. Okay. All right. So I'm going to break down into several subcategories. We're first going to talk about the humanity of Christ. And then we're going to talk about the deity of Christ. And we're going to talk about why all that's important. Um, so before we get going, does anybody have anything that on your heart that we could pray for tonight that's really pressing on you that you feel like you wanted to share with somebody to pray for you or for someone else about I no, you may not want to do that on camera, I get it too. Um, let me just pray for us then and then we'll begin our time through the word, this trek through the word. Lord I am so thankful for the fact that you love us and that you gave us your son Jesus to be our substitute sacrifice on the cross. Help us to better understand you and your Son tonight, please, that we might make much of you, to do so rightly within the confines of Scripture, and to do so in a way that leads us to worship you. For, Lord, that is the purpose of understanding you, to know you, to walk with you, to understand you, and to worship you. So we ask all that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. We're going to kind of go through quickly. Stop me, raise a hand, say something. easier for those watching later they can pause right so if you've got a question just stop me out if i'll be going full speed probably so um tell me the virgin birth this is really important it's important because scripture says it happened that's mainly why it's important and there's some other implications for it matthew 118 we see that Uh, luke 135 Um, I'm just going to hit a few parts of that, Matthew 1, uh, 18 through 20. Uh, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, that means sexually, right? Before they came together, before they were married, Um, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Notice, from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. When he woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded, he took his wife, but knew her not, that means physically, knew her not, until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Luke 135 gives us that other picture angle on that. The angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the most high will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called holy, the Son of God. When I spent a summer in Morocco and Spain working with Seuss Berbers for the International Mission Board, um, I was uh, constantly talking with Muslims as they were coming through uh, the port in um, the south of Spain going over to Morocco. And um, all the time people, they, were, they had been taught about Christianity and they were taught that, that we believe in a God who had sex with Mary. Okay. Now, all I had to do was open up the Bible, the New Testament, the Injil, they call it, and open up and show them, no, no, here's what it says in Luke 135, and I could read it in French, and they spoke French, and, and, and most of them did. Um, and I could say some of it in Arabic, and I would just read it. And they would go, oh, I get it. You're saying that the Holy Spirit the, the overshadowed her, right? That God overshadowed her. Yes, that's how it happened. Oh, okay, then that would totally debunk that idea, right? So I think it's important for us to understand how it happens. The Holy Spirit conceived a child in her and did something that nobody else has ever seen or had happen. And it's part of the important story because supernatural work of salvation is always a God work alone. And so it had to be something done by God that would make that happen. So in Galatians 4, which we see right here, It shows us with another perspective. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law. It's his son, okay? Fully God, but also fully man, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. The virgin birth is the only way we could see Jesus becoming both fully human and divine. Because you had to have God coming inside of Mary like to be part of, that conception thing. He had to, to place God the Son inside of her, right? We don't know how that works, but it also worked with the DNA of Mary. We know that it, it was it was the, the egg of Mary and, and we don't know how it happened, but babies happened. That's that's how it happened. We don't know how it happens. Again infinite things, finite minds, but we know that the scriptures are clear. This makes it possible for Jesus to be born both fully human and fully divine at the same time. Without that the gospel becomes nothing to us. Explain why a little bit later on. That's a lot to kind of sink in there. Um, I did make a little note Immaculate Conception doesn't work. Uh, A lot of people in the Catholic tradition believe that Mary was sinless, so therefore her child could be sinless. But how in the world would she be sinless if she came from another person that was not sinless? Um, And somehow or another, which we'll see more of, and Grudem goes more into it if you're using that as a textbook, uh, that that the sin is not imputed through uh, this conception because God the Father through the Spirit is making this happen and it separates us from an inherited sin. So Jesus did not inherit a sinful nature in that way. Um, now, again, outside of my finite understanding fully, but good to note and be aware of. Um, any questions? It's a lot in the first moment. We're just on the first half of the first page. Okay. All right. Jesus's human weaknesses and limitations. Got a whole bunch here, but just want to point out a couple. Jesus had a human body. Some people don't believe that okay? he had a human body. Luke 2:40, the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom. The favor of God was upon him. Luke 2:52, and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. So he grew up, right? He didn't just, ta-da, full-size human, right? It was he grew up as a kid. Um, also, uh, you see things like Matthew 4:2. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Human hungry. God doesn't need to eat. God the Son does. He's human too. Yes? I'm still confused about the last one, I'm sorry. Okay, so we did the Trinity. Yep. How do you grow in favor with God and be equal with God? What does that mean? Okay, so yeah, so he grew became strong, filled with in, in the favor of God was upon him. So that's not growing in favor there. Okay. The favor of God was upon him. He increased in wisdom and stature and, it, and in favor with God and man here. There's another place in here where it says that he grew in obedience. Uh, I'm actually going to quote out of Grudem on that because he does a good job of explaining it. But the idea is this. um, If my child is doing well with obedience, I give him more responsibility, and then he grows in more obedience to more responsibility I give him. It doesn't mean he had to sin or do anything wrong. It just means that There's more responsibility, there's more obedience, there's a larger growth there. You see what I'm saying? So as a kid, he's growing up here, growing in favor with the Lord. That's a phrasing here that doesn't mean that he was not in favor at some point and became more in favor. It just means that he was doing more and walking along the lines as he grew and matured as a kid, right? Um, Good question. Uh, We see other places where he was thirsty, even on the cross where it says that he was thirsty. We know that uh, Luke 23:26, and as they led him away, they seized one Simon of Cyrene who was coming in from the country and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. And that's because Jesus was so beat up from all he had been through that he was not able to continue walking with the cross. He was falling. So his humanity is very apparent. Um, then Jesus calling out in a loud voice, Luke 23, 46, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. He died like a human. Okay? So, human body. And even after the resurrection, he was still in the human body, although it was perfected. He says in Luke 24, 39, see my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. Then they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. Okay, so he's still a humanity, perfected though now, after the resurrection. But no, perfect I didn't put the ones in here where he like walks through the door without it being locked, unlocked, right? So it's humanity perfected. Again, finite minds trying to understand it, but not an apparition. Um, we also know that Jesus continues to exist in heaven in a human body, although again perfected. Um, Jesus will remain both fully human and fully God for forever. Jesus had a human mind, soul, and human emotions. We see some of this here. Luke 2:52. Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God. Man, there is increasing in wisdom. Uh, Mark 13:32, but concerning that day or that hour no one knows not even the angels in heaven or the sun but only the father so he's saying my mind doesn't understand all things the father knows some things that I'm not privy to at this point okay so he's saying the father understands that again how do we figure that in with his omniscience I don't know he says it we have to fathom that in we see his omniscience clear, cleared out again later on I could skip ahead to that it would help a little bit now but it still is confusing I don't know why that's the way it is, but when talking about when is the end going to be, he says, um, only the Father knows, right? Uh, yes? So, if he increasing in wisdom, did he know from the beginning that he was God? I mean, as he was born and grew up, was it... I would think so because Mary knew it, Elizabeth knew it, John the Baptist knew it, his dad knew it, you know, um, his adopted dad I guess we could say. So I would assume that they didn't keep that from him, you know, that they told him the stories of his birth and they told him the story of the wise men who came when he was like two probably around that time frame. So I would think that he was aware of those things. but they kept a pretty good lid on it too because they probably would have seen as pretty crazy to most people. It was already a weird thing for Mary to be betrothed and be pregnant, right? She wasn't married yet. She had a baby really soon after getting married. So, I mean, we all know how that travels fast in towns. Um, So, I don't exactly know in that, but what I know is that it says he increased in wisdom and stature. Now, we see at 12, he's at the temple and they're amazed at what he says, right? So, I mean, he was a pretty remarkable kid even. But we're not exactly sure the inner workings of the mind of Christ in that way. So I wish I could say it better. Is that helpful at least? Yeah. I mean, there's not much I can say to that. I mean, it's hard to, it's a great question. I'm not really sure. Um, What I know that in humanity, the part that's really important, it can be very confusing for us. We're trying to understand that fully God in a human being and Greek mythology, kind of has this kind of idea in it, but it's like Zeus appears in the form of a man, you know, but to do raunchy things, not to die on a cross for others, right? I mean, it's it's not the same at all. And he doesn't just appear, he becomes a man. To me, that's very encouraging. That's why the gospel, here, here's the big picture, right? We are separated from God because of our sinfulness. We're created in his image to be perfect in reflecting his glory and be in perfect relationship with him the problem is at the very beginning humanity fell out of that and fell into sin so that relationship is broken so much so that they're the Adam and Eve are cast out of the garden they can't be in the same place with God in that same relationship and they have a not able to even enter back into that without death hitting them Um, and so at that point the curse is thrown on all of us, inherited sin at that level, right? So we've all sinned in our own action, we've inherited a sinful nature. Um, The problem here now is, if God is going to restore us into relationship with him, um, he has to maintain his justice and maintain his righteousness, as well as maintain his love and mercy. So he can't just decide to love and forgive without there being wrath towards wrong. He would cease to be all good if he doesn't punish wrong does that make sense it's just a part of who he is so the way that he does that is he sends his son to become one of us and now we have humanity and God brought together in one being so now that's the first initial phase of reconciliation in a sense you know what I mean it looks like it wasn't the first but just in mind put it together fully God fully man united in one So that's reconciliation in one individual in a sense, right? Humanity there. That's why he became the new Adam. Then that fully God, fully man had to be able to be all those things to make it happen. If he doesn't die as a human, then he's just pretending to die and therefore his death is not really real or effective for us. If he doesn't have the fullness of God, he can't bear all the wrath and survive that. For all humanity. It's impossible. One man can't survive all that without being fully God. See, there's all these components to it that have to be there, um, but it is definitely an overwhelming thing to think about. Yeah? Maybe we should divide this up into like four sessions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Originally, I had to divide it up more. but so Maybe I'm getting ahead of you. Yeah, sure. I, I'm trying to wrap my mind around that he has to continue in a human body and have a, I'm tr- having a hard time pulling up the scriptures that but... Talk about him still being a human body in heaven. Okay, so, um, well, I mean, we could look at like Revelation uh, 19, uh, which we got sitting here somewhere. Um, like it talks about that he's wearing a robe, and on his robe says King of Kings on his thigh. It says Lord of uh, Lord, King of Kings, and Lord of Lords on his thigh. I kind of joke around, saying that's Jesus with a tattoo, right? <laughs> you know. Um, so, I, I, there's there's imagery that he's a person. We don't see that imagery in the same way with the Father. Uh, we see the imagery in other places of Revelation that we can look at and show that. And I have some things that will point some of those things out. But here's what we know we don't see any place in Scripture that seems to take his humanity and pull it back away from the unity of the incarnation. And so, we have nothing that gives us any idea that there's any point in time in the future where jesus becomes not jesus anymore he's actually the son of god apart from his humanity and so um he's worshiped as the lamb who's described that way as jesus right described as the son of god taking away the sins of the world so he, that state is a new state in a sense at the incarnation but we don't see any place where it separates in scripture um, we see other things like the resurrection he's still a human person eating food uh, he, he's, he's, he can be touched, he can be felt you see the scars his body seems to be the same yet perfected in some way so that that's I guess where we have to reside in that, if that makes sense I think but that, does that help clarify at all? It may not, I mean it's, it's pretty hard to get there a concept that I had never thought of before I always figured he probably after he fulfilled his what he needed to do as a human for those purposes that he probably in heaven was still viewed that way, but he probably went back to whatever yeah. form he was in before he came to earth. Yeah, so in spirit, I guess, right? Wow. Um, yeah, but the thing in the scriptures is we see that, that, that Jesus is still referred to, even now, so he's there now, but he's referred to as our brother. He's referred to as our, our, our older brother in a sense, right, that atoned for us. So, if his humanity is gone, that connection point seems to be shaky as well for us um yeah i don't i don't know it's a tough one but we don't see where scripture in fact I, I would encourage you to check out grudem's statement on it there's a couple i mean a lot of people you can read on it um, but I, I do think that what we see in the scriptures and, and i'll hit some more of these probably I mean, i've got nine pages of notes here so i've got some stuff here somewhere i didn't put everything in here that i thought would be good to have but um yeah uh, I, I think it's helpful i think you can read through these about mind soul and human emotion um, one of the things that was really surprising to me when i started thinking about the, the person if we if i can move on for a second try oh, to come sure. back sure. is on the person of christ i've got a note here on page two troubled meaning anxious or suddenly surprised look at john 13 21 after saying these things jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified truly truly i say to you one of you will betray me that word troubled in the greek is used all over the scripture for uh, being suddenly very surprised by danger or by being anxious so when the disciples saw somebody walking on the water towards them in the middle of the dark night, they were troubled. Same word, right? Uh, we, we see this all over the scriptures in that way, using the Greek. So I think it's pretty cool. I think it's pretty awesome. that We can see this. Jesus was tempted, but he's also went through emotional stress like that we go through, not just pretend stress. He went through stressful situations. Now, it doesn't, just because it says, you know, don't be anxious doesn't mean that there's not stress that enters your body. So you have to respond to that. How you respond to that is the appropriate or inappropriate thing. Um, we see that here in Matthew 26, 38, he says that my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me as he goes to pray in the garden of Gethsemane. Um, John 11:35. 35, when his friend died, Jesus wept. That's what I often say when I'm preaching that passage using for funerals sometimes. Um, if I were Jesus, I'd have been like, Martha, Mary, come on, girls. Like, I'm about to raise him up. Don't be crying. Here he comes, you know. And Lazarus, come out. But he weeps. He's broken over the effect of sin and death in this world. Um, yeah, Hebrews 5 7. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence, because of his reverence, his holiness. Um, although he was a son, Hebrews 5.8, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. In, in eternity past, Jesus didn't have to obey and learn obedience, right? As a human, he had to, in a sense, learn obedience. It doesn't mean he didn't do it. It just means he had to learn obedience through suffering, even to the point of death. I mean, that's what it looked like to obey his father, right? And so, we, just the humanity here being so focused on Here's Here's something... Uh, I encourage you to read the notes on this from Grudem about learning obedience, like I already referred to. It's really helpful. Uh, make a mark on that and go back and read it. I think he says some good things there. Um, <clears throat> the fact that Jesus could be tempted like us, but never gave in to temptation. Hebrews four fifteen says, "In every respect, he's tempted as we are, yet without sin." Um, other people near Jesus saw him only as a man. This is pretty interesting. Matthew 13, right? 53 through 58. And when Jesus had finished these parables, he went away from there. And coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue. So they were astonished and said, Where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are not all his sisters here with us? Where where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor. Except accepted his hometown in his own household and he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief i mean so he grew up you know there's all these like ideas that jesus did miracles as a kid and all that stuff i, I don't know I, I don't it seems like if he did some miraculous things these people would have been like oh it's the guy that does the crazy stuff like let's listen to him right so i don't know uh, if the lord just is it marius is the first thing she says hey make some wine for these people he said, woman, my time's not yet come, right? And so maybe he just knew from the Lord it wasn't his time. Maybe he didn't do any of those other things. We're not, we don't know. What we do know is the people even there saw him as a man. So they saw him as a man. Um, for not even his brothers believed in him, John 7, 5. I don't know about you. I don't have brothers and sisters, but I watch my kids. One of my kids thought they were deity, the rest of them would laugh, right? <laughs> For obvious reasons. But you can imagine even with a kid that was, the other kids, I mean there's they're still kids, so they have a hard time believing my brother. Is that my brother? You know, like those things. So I uh, may have even heard the stories. Um here's the thing we need to know about, I'm gonna point out Jesus' is sinlessness. I'm not gonna go into all these, but um we were created to be sinless, reflecting God's glory and all of his creation and all of his fullness, but Jesus actually did this. Okay, we were created for the same purpose. But Jesus came to became one of us and actually did this. Um, he who sent me is with me, he's not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. John eight twenty nine. I mean all these go on and on I'm talking about things of Jesus words. eight twenty nine again, sorry. I got that in there twice. John 18, 38. Pilate said to him, what is truth? After he said this, he went back outside of the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. Second Corinthians 5, 21. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So we just keep going through scripture over and over again. It shows Jesus was without sin. He was sinless. This is really important. Even though fully human, he was without sin. First uh, Peter two twenty two. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. Um, 1 Peter 3.18 For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Here's a question a lot of people ask. Gruden gives a good length of time to it in his textbooks and a lot of other guys and theirs. Um, could Jesus have sinned? If he's fully God, and James 1.13 says, God cannot be tempted with evil, Can could he could he have sinned? This is like almost a question of like which comes first, the chicken or the egg. You know what I mean? It's a really hard question. Um, I think it's a legitimate question to some level because some people will say, well, no, Jesus couldn't have sinned. Well, if he couldn't have sinned, then when it talks about him being tempted like we are so he can connect with us, then that's not true. Right? So that, that's, that's some real struggles there we have to think through. Um, I would say, it says in the scriptures, he was really tempted as we are. It says that. It says, James 1.13, God cannot be tempted with evil, but it says Jesus was tempted, but if he's both fully God and fully human, and if we believe scripture to be true, then we must not affirm that Jesus cannot be tempted with evil. Because the scripture says that he was tempted, but he didn't do it, Right? he didn't partake in it. We can affirm he did not sin. We can affirm that. But down down to how this works, and this is what I call a paradox. Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, it, It's not a contradiction because it's where our finite understanding folds in on on God's infinite wisdom and, and infiniteness about who he is and then who his son is who also became fully human. So that's where it's like way beyond us and our ideas and language fold in and we go, okay, God says he can't be tempted with evil, Jesus is God, but Jesus is also human and says he was tempted but didn't sin, how do we figure that out, that's where we have to say, okay, that's, I just say, okay, I believe the scriptures. On everything else, I'm gonna believe it here. He was tempted, yet without sin. I don't know how it works, but it's beyond me. Um, but it's worth mentioning. Have you ever anybody ever heard that before? That that question or that argument? No. Well, now you're ready for it. To say I don't know, right? Mm-hmm. Why was his humanity necessary? 1 John 4, 2 through 3. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you've heard was coming and now is in the world already. Um, So if you don't believe that he's fully human, (laughs) you're part of the Antichrist. It's really important, I would say. Um, Here's the reasons, and I cut out a couple of them because I don't think that i give you my truncated version of the reasons that I think of why Jesus' full humanity is necessary. So, play a game, pick out something I missed, tell me about it in a second, um, but let's just walk through them together. First, for representative obedience. He had to obey because we are not able, right? So he did it on our behalf. Romans 5.18, therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, talking about Adam, So one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Okay, representative obedience. Um, Secondly, I think it's necessary because he had to be fully human to be our substitute sacrifice. He could not be our substitute if he was not fully human. Hebrews 2, 14 through 17. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power over death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. So to satisfy the wrath of God on behalf of humanity, he had to become fully human so that he could incur the wrath of humanity who would be placed into the family of God by believing in Christ. He had to incur that as a human. He couldn't just take it on as God only because humanity had to take down the wrath of God and drink it down to the end. Some will do that forever in hell, separated from the love and mercy of God when that time comes because they don't believe in Jesus now. Some will not have to because Jesus endured it for them. But he could not have done that if it wasn't also that he's fully human. It's necessary for it to work based off how God has chosen to redeem. Thirdly, Jesus' full humanity is necessary because to become our one mediator between God and humanity, he had to be both God and human. For there is one God, there is one mediator between God and man. The Man Christ Jesus, First Timothy two five. Again, we talked about it before. If he's the mediator, he has to be the one that has reconciled humanity and 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 deity together, and in his own person, he is that reconciliation. And now we are ministers of that reconciliation. On the cross, he made it all final; that it's all good to go in him, right? And does still call him the Man Jesus Christ, even though he's in heaven at this point too? Yeah, I mean, yeah, he, he's the God Man. He's the Son of Man. He's yeah. The man jesus christ that's the crazy part right i mean to say it seems like it's irreverent but it's true um to say that he's deity feels like it's not the the fullness of what he did I mean, he became more in some weird way like than he was different he combined deity with humanity or something we i, I hate to even say more because it sounds like i'm the immutability of God is at stake, right? The unchangeableness of God. There's all kinds of things that happen here. I don't get it. I just know that that's what happened. Uh, and so we have to figure out how to put it in a box somewhere in our thinking and kind of walk from it. Um, yes. Yeah, so the next, the fourth one, why is this fully necessary for his humanity to be fully human? Uh, to fulfill God's original purpose for man to rule over creation. Um, you can read Hebrews 2, 7 through 9 there. You can go and read Matthew 28, 18. Ephesians 1, says, And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church. So he created Adam and Eve and said, Hey, this is, subdue so it all. This is all under your authority. And Adam and Eve missed the kick, right? Laces out, right? They missed the kick totally. And so what happens? He's now sent Jesus, who is now, Authority over all things. Matthew 28, 18, I have all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me, Jesus says. So he now has authority over all things, fulfilling God's desire in that in the Christ. Um, To be our example, plenty of these here. I'll just do 1 John 2, 6. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Um, I'll go into to Philippians 3, verse 10. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection, Paul says, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. He's our example. To be like him even in my death. So he's to be our example as well. And then lastly, I've got here to sympathize as our high priest. This is where we talk about uh, Hebrews 2, 18. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. Or Hebrews 4, 15. For we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then, with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Really, and so thankful that we're able to, he's able to empathize with us and know what we need. And he's walked through this temptation so he understands temptation, yet without sin, he's our hope. Um, Well, I... Say humanity of Christ there next, but actually it should be the deity of Christ is next. Sorry for the notes faux pas there. Where it covered humanity, it should be the deity of Christ. Um, so I'm just going to take and I, I kind of shortchanged some of the stuff that Group talks about. I, I don't, I personally don't like all the ways in which he hits all the angles on it. So I'm giving you kind of my preferred stuff here. I'm not a systematic theologian. I thought at one point that's what I wanted to be when I grew up. You know, when I was in seminary. It was a cool thing but um i'm a pastor and a preacher so i'm just going to say that i like it a certain way but you probably should listen to people that have done it a lot longer like grudem and others okay um here's what i wanted to hit on the deity of christ a lot of people say that jesus never said that he was god that's just not true i would argue that even if you don't want to look at what jesus said and say he's not you can say like well i don't really know if he's really saying that if you look at the reaction of the people and what it says about the reaction of the people it's clear that jesus was claiming to be god and that makes it clear uh, to us i think that the, the previous statement helps that so let me give you an example of that um, christ is referred to using the term theos god that word god and also curios that's the second one we're going to hit curios is lord all right, and so that word is used multiple times, meaning not necessarily God, the word Lord, I mean, curious, but in some ways it is obvious it's talking about a God person. Okay? So it's not talking about um, just a sir or a, my master on earth. Right? So John 1.1, 1, 1, the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. And later on we see that's referring exactly to Jesus. John 1.18, no one has ever seen God, the only God who's at the Father's side, he has made him known. Jesus. Okay, it's the one. It's the whole prologue to John 1. And at the very end of John um, 20, 28, Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God, after the resurrection. Jesus did not correct that. Okay, We also know that at the end of John, at the very end, it says that John says, I write these things so you may know that Jesus is God. Right? So you may know and believe in him. Um, Romans 9, 5. To them belong the patriarchs, and their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. So this word theos. And the Greek is used over and over again to refer to Jesus. But let's look at where the word Lord is used. Luke 2.11 For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. We all know that one probably. Uh, Luke one forty three, And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? This is Elizabeth when John the Baptist is still in the womb. And when Mary shows up and... and Jesus, inside the womb, enters the house. John, under the leading and movement of the Holy Spirit, who's upon him in the womb, leaps for joy. She then says these words again, Why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Right? So it's a connection that's way greater. We see that just like my master on this earth. Matthew 3, 3. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said the voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. As quoting Isaiah 43, which is talking about the Messiah, okay? Revelation, uh, no, Psalm 110, this is a really good one. Psalm 1. The Lord says to my Lord, this is David writing this, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. So God is speaking to God. But Jesus is a descendant of David. But he sees him as God here, right? The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Revelation 19, 16. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. So clearly, um, Jesus was seen as God in that way. Other claims to deity. Here's some of these we talked about a minute ago. John 8, 57 to 59. So the Jews said to him, You're not 50 yet, yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Now, if you look at the next passage there, Exodus three fourteen. That's where God says to Moses, he said, who did I tell him, I, who I tell him to send me? He says, um, God said to him, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Right? So Jesus back here in John 8, 57, says, truly, truly, I say to you before Abraham was, I am. Now you may think, oh, well, he's not really saying that. He's just saying I am. I was there before. Okay. But look what happens in verse 59. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. That's what you do for heretics. That's what you do for people that are blaspheming. So they saw that he was basically saying, "I am God." That's just one example. Um, I love this one. This Revelation 22. So if you ever deal with Jehovah's Witnesses, the, these folks have been had the, I mean, are blinded. Okay, and they don't understand it. The person, the one person who put together the New World Translation, which is their version of the Bible, they changed stuff in there. Uh, Now most scriptures like the ESV or the NIV, that's done by a collaborative effort of multiple people, multiple 30 plus people that work together to translate the scriptures from the Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic. Um, This New World Translation was like one dude and he sat down and he changed everything that didn't jive with his theology. So for instance, all things that point to jesus being equal to god that he's a god also because they say that jesus is a demigod a created sub-god in a sense but they miss some things okay so when you read revelation 22:13, jesus is speaking and he says i am the alpha and the omega the first and the last the beginning and the end if you turn back to the beginning of Revelation 1.8, God the Father says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. They're claiming to be the same, not one subservient to the other in that sense of like one's a demigod. Okay, so that's really, I show that to people, it oftentimes really rattles cages a little bit. Um, but good for us to see that Jesus does claim to be the same as the Father in the essence of deity, right? Fully God. Um, questions? I'm going fast and hard. It's a lot of stuff. It's good fodder to study on later. Yeah? OK. Evidence of Jesus' attributes of deity. Uh, I'm going to hit these kind of quickly at the first. Jesus' power. Just think about the story. Jesus still the storm in Matthew 8. He's asleep. You notice how many times Jesus takes naps? I saw a shirt the other day that said, Jesus is, took naps. Be like Jesus. Right? <laughs> I love that shirt. I wish I had more time to take naps. Um, But Jesus is asleep in the boat and the disciples are freaking out and they asked him the question like What are you doing? Aren't you don't you care about us, right? Don't you care about us? Aren't you worried we're gonna die and I'm thinking That's why he came. (laughs) It's because he's worried that you're gonna die, you know So it's it's this really funny question that happens and he wakes up and he's like peace be still and the storm stops And they're like who does this right? This is this is crazy. Nobody has that kind of power and then matthew 14 19 where jesus multiplied the loaves and the bread i mean it's impossible only god can do those things uh, turns the water to wine uh the best wine, right the guy's like hey why did you bring out the best wine now that usually happens in the front end and after everybody's drank the good wine they'd bring out the stuff that's less expensive right he made real wine the best of wine um jesus power jesus omniscience he this is here was we, here the confusing part is that you a minute i think a minute terry this says something like uh about him knowing things right we were having a moment jesus omniscience mark 2 8 and immediately jesus perceiving in his spirit that they thus question within themselves said to them why do you question these things in your hearts Hmm. so he sees in the hearts of people yet he does not know when that hour will come (laughs) okay i don't get it but his omniscience is apparent his deity is apparent John 6.64, but there are some of you who do not believe, for Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who do not believe, and who who it was who would betray him. John 21.17, he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. So he's confirming that you know all things. Why are you asking me this question? Right? Jesus' sovereignty. Uh, when Jesus saw their faith in Mark 2 5 he said to the paralytic son your sins are forgiven. Remember that story? They've lowered the guy down and he's like son your sins are forgiven. And you're like Shouldn't He like tell him to get up, <laughs> right? That should be the first thing But he does the greater thing now some of the scribes are sitting there questioning in their hearts Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming who can forgive sins but God alone? I mean, he's claiming deity all over the place John 10 17 through 18 for this reason the father loves me because I laid down my life that I may take it up again. I'm gonna die so I can raise myself back up. Only God can do that, right? No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father, deity. Jesus is worship. Now, this to me is the biggest of all evidences in the scriptures that Jesus is fully God and claims to be God because if there's one thing that God gets really mad about, it's when somebody else is worshipped beside him. Okay? just that's, That is the no-no. That's why they were going to stone Jesus, right? Blasphemy and false worship, they thought. Hebrews 1.6. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, what means by firstborn, by the way, is the preeminent. When he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Nobody else is talked about like that but Jesus. Revelation 5, 11 through 13, this puts both the Father and the Son in worship. Listen. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. I mean, that's God the Father and the Lamb worship at the same moment. Okay? That would not be okay with God if Jesus was not also fully God. So here's a good question that we're going to hang on for just a moment and only really for a moment. I'm going to quote a little Grudem just because it's, it's a lot to get into. There's a theory out there called the Canonic Theory. Um, The kenosis theory, in fact, there's a band I really like called kenosis. It's kind of a fast rock kind of electronica band of Christian guys and a couple ladies, I think. And, um, but it comes from this idea of this kenosis theory. All right. So the question is, did Jesus give up some of his divine attributes while on the earth? You ever heard this before? I've heard it preached and talked about in this county. Um. So did he give up some of his divine attributes while on the earth? It comes out of Philippians 2. Let's look at it, 5 through 7. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. This theory is taken from that word there of emptying. The word is kanao in the Greek. Okay, And that word has the idea of emptying oneself. Right. Um, I think <laughs> this is a really simplified way to say it. Um, there's a really good book by D.A. Carson called Exegetical Fallacies. And what it means is you can learn something about how to study the Bible. And when you learn it, you think you see it everywhere in the Bible. OK. And so one of the problems in seminary that they warn you about when you're learning is how to do word studies when they teach you how to do a word study to look up a Greek word and understand where it came from and what it can mean in all these different ways then every time you read any word you're looking up every angle on that word and trying to figure out how everything's there and you read everything into the text okay so it's not always that complicated you know what i mean it's like you don't you can't you can't lose the forest for the tree you know what i mean you can't do that so this is kind of what happened here so Grudem talks about it on page 686 of his uh new version i don't know which version you have the old version i have to look it up to see but um it says this was viewed as a voluntary self-limitation on Christ's part which he carried out in order to fulfill his work of redemption. And he goes on, he says, we must this is why it doesn't work. We must first realize that no recognized teacher in the first 1800 years of church history, including those who were native speakers of Greek, thought that emptied himself in Philippians 2:7 meant that the son of God gave up some of his divine attributes. Second, we must recognize that the text does not say that Christ emptied himself of some powers or emptied himself of divine attributes or anything like that. Third, the text does describe what Jesus did in this emptying. He did it by taking the form of a servant. That is, by coming to live as a man and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. That's the next verse here, Philippians 2 Thus, the context itself interprets this emptying, as equivalent to humbling himself and taking on a lowly status and position. Thus, the NIV, instead of translating the phrase, he emptied himself, translates it, made himself nothing. The emptying includes change of role and status, not essential attributes or nature. A fourth reason for this interpretation is seen in Paul's purpose in this context. His whole purpose has been to persuade the philippians that they should do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit but in humility count others more significant than yourselves and he continues by telling them let each of you look not only to his own interest but also to the interest of others and so that's what jesus did okay so this is what i love about reading scripture if you keep it in context it oftentimes clears up the problems this is not about christ emptying himself of anything it says here but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men so he emptied himself in the sense of saying i'm not going to be like acting like your lord of lords right now in the sense of what you'd expect a king or a king's son would do instead Mm -hmm. i'm going to empty myself of that and humble myself to serve you even to the point of death so you should therefore be humble like christ is humble that's what paul said So the context defines for us that where all this kind of emanates from and this wrong thinking is actually not right simply if you read the text in context. You understand? Those two words should always go together in our brains, text and context. Just how many times do you see a verse taken out of context? Slapped on a t-shirt, on a coffee mug. I mean, somebody hits a home run or they take a touchdown and I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's not really what that's about. I get it. I love that you love the Lord. That's out of context. Okay, and that's just the way it is. So um, that's a lot. Questions on that? Okay. We know Colossians 119, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. That's the simple answer to the canonic theory. Colossians two nine: for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Matthew one twenty three, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us, not part of God with us. That's really the Greek thinking that we still live in, which is we divide everything into parts. Okay, that's why I love it. Like the Old Testament says that you should, the Lord your God is one. Love the Lord your God, right? In the Greek, we see love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength. Because we divide it all up into pieces. The Hebraic way of thinking is more holistic. And if God is about personal relationship with us, then when we say Emmanuel with us, that means the person of God is with us. Not like a half of God is with us. You know what I'm saying? So if you just think about it more holistically in that way, it really helps. Um, Lastly, why was Jesus' deity necessary? Um, I've already talked about it a little bit, but only someone who is God could bear the full penalty for our sins that would destroy anybody else. It's just impossible. If you think about it, if you don't believe in jesus you die you're separated from god's love and mercy and hell. under his full wrath poured out for all the rest of eternity and if you said okay i'm just going to take one other person's full wrath for all the rest of eternity i mean that that's it's infinitely there for infinite amount of time it, it you can't you can't like infinite infinity squared it doesn't happen you can't maintain that okay isaiah sees god High and lifted up and he says woe is me that means I'm coming like he's I'm coming undone. of that old King James version I'm coming undone. I'm coming apart at the seams is the idea of his language um, I'm a man of unclean lips among a people of unclean lips just in his sinfulness He feels unworthy. It feels like he's tearing apart at the inside being in the presence of God It's like it would destroy us to be in his presence if our bodies weren't supernaturally glorified into a state of perfection Okay, so here we see that without being fully God, there's no way that a human could totally take on all of that wrath for every other human. It's impossible. It would not happen. Part of that we know because of words like Jonah 2.9. But I with, the, with, I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. It's just one place I found it. Salvation belongs to the Lord. It had to be the Lord saving us. The only way it works salvation can only be accomplished by the Lord he had to be fully God doing this thirdly we have we had to have a true mediator which means the person had to be fully God and fully man we already talked about that first Timothy 2: five already covered that but there's one God there's one mediator between God and man the man Christ Jesus in John 14 9 Jesus said to him I have I been with you so long and you still do not know me Philip whoever has seen me has seen the father how can you say show us the father <coughs> Right? Fully God. He's the only one that could demonstrate that for us. And lastly, without Jesus' deity and humanity, both in full, we've already covered this, the gospel cannot be the gospel. You've got to have both angles on that. So that's a lot to drink in in a sitting. Um, I really encourage you to pick up a copy. You can get any conservative systematic theology like book. Um, I've got a lot I can give you other ideas on it, put some of the bibliography for the syllabus. Um, but man, just taking the time to read through that, it, it could be devotional. You open it up, you read it over a couple of days, and everywhere it shows you, like I love group, everywhere it shows you a scripture, you just turn to that scripture and read that as part of that, and then say, okay, Lord, help me to understand who you are more rightly so that I may love you rightly and respect you and walk with you. I mean, that, that's what this is about for us, right? Understand these difficult doctrines, so that we might know him, love him, and walk with him. My encouragement to you, I've given you a lot of fodder for devotional time, right? So if you don't have something else you're going through, if you want to add to it, take the time and just walk through these, memorize some of these, pray over them, Lord, I don't get this, help me. And then start doing some study of your own. Look in your study Bibles, uh, click on the references, or, or start looking up the references and, and figure out how it's all tied together, showing you these truths about Him. Again, at the end of the day, finite being, finite mind, for, for this person, very finite mind, extreme, infinite God, beyond my ability. But the scriptures are written for us to understand as much as possible who God is, so we can love Him back because He first loved us. So, any questions before we're closing out today? Okay, this makes like a technical, this is how we as like humans that speak English wrote this down. Yeah. But when David's saying, the Lord said to my Lord, why? Like, what is the difference? One of those is all caps and one is just capital L. Yeah, okay. so we'd have to get into like the language and how it's done in the text. So oftentimes when you're looking at um, where it says the Lord in all caps, that's where it's referring to Yahweh which in the old King James, it would say Jehovah, okay? Um, and so it's demarcate. For those who grew up with King James, what they've done is in a lot of translations, they have left it where it would say like Jehovah, which is kind of like a, um, a weird transliteration of Yahweh in the in the Hebrew. Um, and so instead of doing that, they, they, they changed it to the Lord, which is kind of the meaning of that. And they just made it all caps to demarcate. That's where it used to say Jehovah. So you know the difference It's talking about Yahweh. Okay, so that that's kind of why it's that way, yeah. That would be more of God of Father of creation kind of idea, um, and the other Lord. If you read Psalm, all of Psalm one ten, what it looks like it's pointing to is that the Son of the Lord is saying that, but he's calling him Lord also, um, but in a different, a little bit different way. Yeah, a good question. Any others? Tired, drinking from fire hose. Tired from the day. Yeah, you too. Let me pray for us and we'll be done. Father, I thank you. Lord, I thank you so much that you have sent Jesus to become one of us. And that as your son became one of us, that he also was willing to go to the cross and die for us. And because he was fully God and is fully God, our Lord Jesus Christ was able to bring reconciliation. That, Lord, if we would just believe on him, if we would just trust in Him. So Lord, help us to trust in Him more today. Help us to, to believe on Your Son Jesus more today by the power of Your Holy Spirit. And help us to speak much about Him and what He's done for us. Lord, I know that it's a lot to take in for us as we study these things, but I pray You'll work them into our heart deeply and that we will love You more and that we will give You honor and glory that You will be lifted high and Your Son Jesus will be extolled and made famous in this place and beyond as we leave these pla- these this, these doors tonight. And I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the sermon audio from 12th Street Baptist Church. Feel free to share this with anyone you meet, and we pray that this sermon helps you to be more like Jesus as 12th Street seeks to make apprentices of Jesus by being a family for families.